Welcome to episode 61 of Contested Catch. It's our week nine preview. Recording here on Saturday, looking ahead to Sunday. Jeff, welcome back, my friend. How is everything going with you this fine morning? Oh, fantastic. Had a lovely sausage, egg, and cheese to kick off the day <laughs> with avocado. You're not a bacon guy? Sausage greater than bacon for you? I mix it up. Usually I go bacon, switch it up a little bit today. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so Jeff, today we are talking about week nine, obviously, that starts tomorrow or continues tomorrow. We already have the Thursday night game. Um, let's talk about Thursday night football takeaways. You know, what what did you see on Thursday night that you think will uh, be important to recognize for the rest of the season? I kind of shut the game off like a little before halftime. Okay, okay. So I didn't see too much, but what I did see was that uh, you can never trust the Shanahan running back Willett pregame spiel. I had both Hasty and McKinnon on my roster and it sounded like Hasty was the guy. So I fired him up and uh nope, it was McKinnon season. So um, you know, I guess when actually healthy, McKinnon is the gonna be the guy when most stairs out. Uh who knows when if when Coleman comes back. But uh I mean other than that, nothing that we didn't already know that, you know, Devontae Adams is just a baller. Yeah. Um, first of all, I appreciate if you use the contested catch patented slogan for San Francisco, which is the hot Shanahan. Um, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with that takeaway as well. Um, it's it's more so just like you should never feel confident that you have the guy in that backfield because there isn't a a guy, you know, the guy in that backfield. Um there is the wide receiver in Green Bay, though, and Devontae Adams just cannot be stopped. Um, wrote about it in the catch-up this week for the Thursday Night Preview. But, I mean, his in the in the healthy games that he's played, which is all but um, – or which is, I think, five games now, six games now, it is unbelievable the, the averages he's putting up. And, you know, just to remind everyone, preseason, we discussed a little – who has, like, the, the chance for a – uh, Michael Thomas-esque season this year, and most people would, would have guessed Michael Thomas, considering he just did it in 2019, set all these records. I, you know, it really didn't feel like that was, I mean, I know Michael Thomas has been hobbled, so it's not really a great process to, like, evaluate that, but um, he's only played one game. But Devontae Adams had the situation that was ripe for that type of volume that Michael Thomas saw, and so we're seeing it come to fruition. Obviously, a great player, but also the situation is imperative to have that level of ceiling. Um, yeah. And then I think the other thing too is, um, Brandon Ayuk is, is good. I think this offense is, uh, struggling without him, without Debo, without Kittle now, uh, Ross Dwelly outproduced Jordan Reed and Jordan Reed's return from injury. Um, and I don't know. I mean, they're, they're starting Nick Mullins for their foreseeable future. So I think you have to be a little concerned if you are a buyer in San Francisco at all, which I definitely was going into the year. Um, I mean, they've just been decimated all, all across the board. So very unfortunate. But uh, the hope is that once Ayuk gets back next week from the COVID list and Debo Samuel has a chance to return next week as well. So we shall see. Might be brighter days ahead for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, on to other injury news and other updates, Jeff. I think it is only right that we kick it off with a guy that we have been talking about for months, all of season two. And... That is Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds' season is upon us. Uh, Kenyon Drake is out officially. He did not practice at all, so there's a chance that he might be out again next week. 
But we know this guy has just been running circles around Kenyon Drake all year. He has been the clear receiving back in this backfield. And now he's got the entire thing to himself. I don't really expect anyone else to get any sort of meaningful usage enough to siphon off true RB1 workload. And I think that we already thought that the talent and situation and the way that he was used in this offense was right for RB1 production. How high are you ranking Chase Edmonds in week nine? Top five. I love it. Let's go, man. I mean, I think it goes Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey. And I mean, from there, like, is there anyone else that you confidently, maybe Derek Henry, but uh, Tennessee's, you know, offensive line hasn't been as strong and Chicago's got a pretty strong defense. Maybe James Conner, because we know how bad Dallas is and that Pittsburgh's projected to face a very positive game script. Um, Maybe James Robinson, because we can see Jacksonville just feeding him 25 total touches. But, um, I mean, I think besides Cook and McCaffrey, you can make a very strong case for Chase Edmonds over anybody else this week. I mean, I, I love Chase Edmonds. I, w- I would definitely put Derrick Henry right behind those first two, and then I'd put Chase Edmonds there. Um, I just think that we've seen way too much to um, – to discount, you know, what Henry can do, even in a, a crappy matchup, I suppose. But honestly, I would argue that the, the matchup is pretty decent for him because Henry just really gets fed whenever it's po- it's a positive or neutral gain script. And that appears to be the case with Cincinnati this week. So, but anyway, yeah, Chase Edmonds, man, I think we're going to see mammoth, mammoth scores from him. And even if not, um, I, I what I really hope is that he just plays well enough to retain a lead role once Kenny Drake returns, because I don't think he's going to give it up if he does. Um, I'm a buyer of Kenny of uh, excuse me. I'm a buyer of J- Chase Edmonds in Dynasty as well. I think anyone who has some sort of keeper element, take note. I do not believe Chase Edmonds returns to the RB2 in this offense. Uh, I've been trying to acquire him where I can. Because I think that he is going to continue to run circles around uh, the ghost of Kenyon Drake, meaning what he was doing in the same offense. And I think the, you know, this is in some cases assuming rational coaching, but I mean, they've already been using Chase Edmonds a lot. I don't think they're going to go back to Kenyon Drake once he returns. And I don't think Kenyon Drake is even going to be the 100% Kenyon Drake that we saw in the past, which was not very good. So because of that ankle injury, Jeff in Dallas, there is a new quarterback. His name is not Andy Dalton. He's still not back. His name is Garrett Gilbert. He's been kind of floating around the league for a couple of seasons. I think that this, you know, overall could be it's it's kind of like in Jacksonville where just the uncertainty, just like the unknown leaves room for optimism. <laughs> you know, we know that the situation has not been good in Dallas. Uh, and, you know, similar to Jacksonville, we've got this unknown quarterback we haven't seen him play. And let's see what we get. Uh, out of Garrett Gilbert, are you um, are you optimistic about Dallas pass catchers here? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, if this was a um, not the Steelers' defense, then maybe. But I mean, the Steelers are one of, if not the best defense in the league. They get pressure at a league high rate. They send blitzes at a league high rate, um, and then the Dallas offensive line is just like decimated. So. Um, like even if Gilbert was like a fine backup quarterback, like not Nathan Peterman level bad, I mean, he, which he might, I'm not saying he is, but like, um, like there's still not 
if Andy Dalton was the quarterback, I still wouldn't be optimistic because I just don't think this is a situation for that really like any replacement level quarterback would thrive in. That's fair. Um, I think that I, th- I think at the very least this resets the pecking order in Dallas once again, because you know who Ben DiNucci targets when he's under pressure or, you know, uh, as it has a clean pocket might be different than who Garrett Gilbert targets, which is different than who Dak Prescott, so on and so forth. Um, point being Michael Gallup, you know, still could have some, some season long utility, uh, you know, if, if the packing order shifts towards his favor and away from CD lamb, maybe, or I, I think really just in general, we can't start with any sort of confidence. Amari Cooper, CD lamb, obviously Michael Gallup, even Dalton Schultz, um, in consider, even when you consider the tight end landscape, and this also goes to the running back. And we talked a lot about Zeke and this offense, um, this, the the downward trend that it's going. Talked about it on the Tuesday show, wrote about it in the contested catch up, and I think I did a pretty good job of laying out the bear case about Zeke. Now, since I wrote that, he has been labeled questionable with a hamstring injury. That's even more of a concern. And obviously, you know, the past couple of seasons, everyone has been talking about Tony Pollard as like the number one RB handcuff or at least at least it, like a top three, top five RB handcuff. We're just like if, if Zeke misses any time, Tony Pollard is going to erupt. Um, well, there is a chance that that Tony Pollard gets the work this 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 week, uh, assuming Zeke is at least not at full workload or maybe not even playing. Um, you know, I, you already mentioned the matchup, Jeff. If, if Zeke were to miss or be labeled as like a limited version of himself on Sunday, are you playing Tony Pollard as anything more than a flex? Um, no, no. Like I think Zeke, even if Zeke plays, I think he's just a flex. So um, I, I would just say like, no, Pollard is the minimum 4,000 on DraftKings this week. So if Zeke does sit, like, I don't hate him um, as, you know, that kind of free square. And as I mentioned, with the pressure that's likely to get to uh, Gilbert, I almost called him Gabbert. I'm sure it's probably like, you know, you know, it's probably almost as good as playing Gabbert. But, um, I, you know, I could just see like a lot of quick short passes to Pollard um, to try and avoid the pressure. And, I mean, he's Pollard's a good player, so – I mean, you know, if he gets five catches, I'm sure he'll do something with at least one or two of them to, you know, return decent value on a $4,000 price tag or flex value in a season long fire up. Yeah, I think that um, I think that there's a chance that Tony Pollard has a better day than Ezekiel Elliott if both are active. Um, Pollard's an upgrade in reality. I would agree with that as well. Uh, Although I will say, you know, Zeke's numbers have struggled this year. I was looking at it when I was doing the catch-up, and I was surprised to see that Tony Pollard's numbers have struggled as well. I mean, this is really, a, a in large part, well, it reinforces running backs don't matter because it's, we're talking about the situation here being a big determining factor for running back production. So um, anyway, I do like Tony Pollard this week in DFS. Um, if if you are absolutely desperate, he is a somewhat, somewhat in play as a flex option. So keep that in mind. Um Okay, Jeff, moving on to Seattle, some more running back talk. Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde are out once again. It, is it DJ Dallas season again? Or is Alex Collins, who was signed off the couch uh, last week, is or two weeks ago, I should say, um, is now in, potentially going to be suiting up as the RB2 in Seattle? Uh, he's had a little history there. 
He's only 26, which baffles me. I thought he might be working on like grandchildren by now, but uh, apparently he is still, you know, in shape and and going to suit up for an NFL team. So, um, you know, is DJ Dallas. We talked about him last week. He obviously had a great fantasy performance, but as I pointed out, it was in the most inefficient way that you could basically imagine. And I think he really just kind of fell into this, you know, 90% workload is, you know, there an expectation for anything different in week nine? Um, well, I mean, it's the bills and the run defense in Buffalo is pretty weak. So you could see increased efficiency kind of based on the matchup. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to see that, uh, 90 or whatever percent volume that he saw or like, you know, running back share and also Travis Homer is getting a little bit healthier. Uh, his injury last week was another reason that Dallas did, uh, was able to see so much work. Um, uh, I, I think Homer's getting healthier. Um, I actually haven't seen too much on him. That's what I read a few days ago. So, um, you know, I think he's still like a fine flex play in season long. Again, like, you know, the running back landscape is pretty decimated. So if you have to fire him up as your RB2, like, you know, that's, there's worse options. And as you said, the chances of even if he's not good, but he still just stumbles his way into a touchdown or two. Like, um, you know, he was okay in the receiving game. Um, you know, it's fine. It's not like, you know, the floor isn't like high at all, but you know, it's a good, one of the best offenses in the NFL. So anytime you have the presumed, presumably lead back in the top five offense, like it's not the worst thing. True. Um, you know, if I have DJ Dallas and I know there's not a lot of time to do this, but if I have DJ Dallas and I don't necessarily need to play him this week, I am, I'm selling him. Reason being, there's a good chance that someone is desperate for a running back this week. DJ Dallas coming off that big game last week. If people are just box score watching, they'll say, wow, you know, DJ Dallas could really put give me an RB2, if not RB1 performance. Again, this week, bad or great matchup for him, bad run defense they're facing. Um, of course, he's going to get all this work again. Who the hell's Alex Collins? He sounds like that guy who was a Baltimore uh, sleeper a couple years ago. Um, anyway, I think that the the time for DJ Dallas to be uh I, I think this is probably his peak value right now. Um Chris Carson should be back, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Carlos Hyde should be back next week. Who knows exactly when that will be the case. But either way, I just think that that last week was a blip. And you know, I could be wrong, proved wrong again, but we'll see. Um speaking of decimated running back landscapes, Jeff, Miles Gaskin is now out a few weeks. We talked about him a little bit on Tuesday. Um Wrote about him in the catch-up as well, you know, knowing about his absence then. But uh, Matt Breida is also unfortunately missing this week too, and I was really hoping that this would be the chance for him to uh, show his stuff and prove why, you know, the Dolphins traded for him. And he's missing this week with a hamstring. So now we're down to the Laird and Savior, Patrick Laird, uh, Jordan Howard, and Salvin Ahmed. Um, Are you even remotely considering a Dolphins RB this week in either DFS or, you know, desperate flex situations. Rejoice in the Laird with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Okay, there you have it, guys. Uh, I mean, yeah, Patrick Laird so has I, had yeah, moments. I, think, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, in PPR formats, I think Laird's fine. Um, no, he actually caught Tua, Tua's first career pass two weeks ago. He did. Auctioned so, those gloves off. Yeah. Um, I don't think Alvana Med is anyone you can fire up. Howard is just like the epitome of, you know, three yards and a cloud of dust, just a guy. Um, so I think Laird is the kind of ceiling play. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll say, I think 
DeAndre Washington is not playing this week, but he is worth a um, stash on the bench for uh, week 10 because he, does, he would probably profile as like the most explosive player of the, among those four and could uh, be the lead back for two weeks until or more until Gaskin comes back. On to Baltimore. Mark Ingram is very unlikely to play again this week. We know what happened last week where Dobbins saw equal touches to Gus Edwards. What we don't see in the box score, though, is that Dobbins had a uh, double the amount of snaps that that Edwards did. So, I mean, that means when Edwards is on the field, a very good chance he's going to get the ball. But more so, Dobbins is there for passing work. He's splitting, you know, early down rushing work with Gus Edwards. Um, I like Dobbins as a mid-tier RB2 this week. Uh, An okay matchup against Indianapolis. I think that for the most part, this is projected to be a close game which I think lends itself to Dobbins more than Gus Edwards. And Jeff, on Twitter, I was asked this week, Deontay or Dobbins in PPR this week? Um, Dobbins. I, I, yeah, well, I think it's pretty close. I'm starting both in multiple leagues, um, or I, both or either in multiple leagues. Uh, I went with Deontay, and the reason being, there is still a chance, like as much as I think Dobbins is free, as much as I want him to be free, there's still a chance that Gus Edwards gets the lead work in this week. This week, I know I recognize that that possibility. And also, Deontay, when healthy, is getting legit high end, if not you know high end uh, wide receiver two, if not low end wide receiver one volume, when healthy. And he's apparently healthy. He hasn't he hasn't you know had any practice issues all week. We know that he continues to have uh, in game injuries. That is a huge concern. It's just, it's absolutely killing anyone who's starting him. But I think that we, it would be a little recency bias if I if I truly went Dobbins over Deontay, considering we've seen Deontay do it all year when healthy and Dobbins did it for one week. With that said, I, I don't think you're going to go wrong really with either because both have huge ceilings. Uh, I just feel that that Dobbins is a little bit more of the upside play uh, with the lower floor. So uh, I assume that you're disagreeing then. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like as you mentioned with um, Deontay, you know, his floor is that he leaves in the first quarter with another in-game injury, which is like you said has been going on all year. And um, as I think we mentioned earlier this week regarding Deontay, like, yeah, he was the wide receiver one when healthy, but that you also need to factor in that Juju wasn't healthy, and now it looks like Juju is also healthy. So that's also likely to you know detract from that. I kind of like wide receiver one role if Juju's back to being his old self and he could end up um, siding into you know a 1B like 1A 1B or wide receiver two role yeah there's a chance that either one takes a secondary or takes a backseat to uh, one of their you know their their backfield or, or wide receiver mates um, I just think that Deontay the other thing with like the in-game injuries leading to his floor you know we're talking about helmets at the back um, when he was receiving a punt he had a concussion on another, uh, and then he had the hamstring in the first quarter, and then returned, and then it just kind of phased out. We still saw three targets, but not until you know there was it didn't matter. Um, so I don't think this is like a Will, Full, Will Fuller situation where we're like, oh, there we go, hamstring again, you know, or like you know, there we go, soft tissue. Uh, they're not all like that. So at the very least, there's still some confidence that Deontay um, can can do a lot on a given week, and so. Yeah, I mean, anyway, it, is, it is Dallas and like Dallas. Is just yeah, the matchup is right totally now. in his favor. Yeah, I guess the one thing is too, like you could see a scenario where Pittsburgh just runs out to an early lead and just like runs the ball for the entire second half. 
<laughs> they haven't been doing that as much this this uh, this year. Um, they have been sticking to their offensive plan. I mean, James Conner has gotten really consistent volume all season, and so I think it really is that they're not they're not. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong about this. I'm not exactly sure if the numbers support this, but from my impression, they have not veered uh, heavily away from their offensive plan, regardless of the situation. So um, there's that. Take it as you will. Um, okay, so moving on, Atlanta. Um, Calvin Ridley is questionable this week. If he doesn't go, I think it's pretty obvious that Julio Jones would see a boost, but he has seen unbelievable volume without Ridley uh, in those recent situations going back to 2019. Uh, I think that Julio Jones should be ranked as the wide receiver one if Ridley doesn't go for any reason. I mean, Ridley, uh, uh, Julio, as you point out, Jeff, is always a wide receiver one. Uh, are you saying he's always the wide receiver one? <laughs> Uh, I mean, he's always in the conversation. I think I saw his splits in the last two or three years with with Ridley, 18 PPR points per game without 26 points per game, uh, 26 PPR points per game. So, uh, I mean, like he's just, you know, 18 is like, you know, top end wide receiver one. 26 is just like the wide receiver one. So, okay. I mean, I guess it's a pretty obvious talking point there for Atlanta, but just keep noting, especially if you're a Ridley owner, uh, and if you are Julio Stan, then, you know, you probably want to make sure you get him in your DFS lineups as well. Um, Jeff, how concerned are you with the fact that Drew Brees is now a game time decision with a right shoulder injury? Obviously, his, his throwing shoulder. Uh, he's likely to play. And Michael Thomas is also a game time decision. They also expect him to play. But I mean, this situation is just kind of strange going into a big matchup with Tampa Bay. You know, are they, is, is Sean Payton just trying to have a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of mystique here? Uh, or is there actual concern all of a sudden that Drew Brees is, you know, has an injury to his throwing shoulder? No, I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, it's not like arm strength is something that Brees has been reliant on for a while now, and certainly not this year. He has not been throwing the ball downfield. But, you know, so if the shoulder is, like, legitimately injured, though, and he's already weak arms getting weaker, that's definitely a concern. If it's like, oh, you know, he's kind of been nagging at him for, you know, a while and just tossing on the injury report because it flared up a little bit more. Um, I mean, that's like less concerning, but still a concern. I mean, he's also like, he's old and like, they don't have, you know, as you get older, you heal slower. So, um, you know, I think there is absolutely like a cause for concern and that what if it's just kind of like deteriorates down the stretch and, you know, okay, is it going to be Jameis Winston time or are they going to go with like, you know, taste some hill. Okay, Jeff, in, in uh, New York, Devontae Freeman is out once again. Wayne Gallman remains a pretty decent flex option, I think. And, you know, I talked about him a couple weeks ago uh, as, as a, you know, pretty decent, uh, you know, decent, like that's the word I think I'd use uh, to refer to Wayne Gallman. Nothing like exciting, but like he's actually kind of producing and, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that he's shapes up again and week nine is a pretty decent flex option. There's obviously the chance that, you know, with an okay running game and Daniel Jones threat on the ground as well, that maybe Wayne Gallman gets loose for, for one or two. I mean, is Wayne Gallman uh, on the flex radar for you this week? Loosely, um, you know, keep in mind that he, I think he fumbled last week and then it became the Alfred Morris show. So I think there's likely a short leash should he, you know, mess up at the beginning of the game. Uh, maybe just, I mean, I think Gallman's still the best back in, in that uh, backfield now. But, um, 
you know, the appeal to rational coaching doesn't apply to the New York Giants. Mm, very fair. He probably ran a couple of laps in practice this week to make up for that. Um, yeah, they're like the lone organization I could see passing up on Trevor Lawrence in 2021. Yeah. In Kansas City, Jeff, last last point on injury news and other updates. Sammy Watkins is out once again. Now, Miko Hardman had a big game in week eight, like like his biggest game, not of his career, but probably biggest volume game of his career. He had seven catches over 90 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown was a little jet sweep, touch pass, uh, untouched for 30 yards. And he scored. And the reason I bring that up is because he has been labeled as more of a gadget guy in this offense. He did not score in a traditional wide receiver format, but you know, they use Tyreek Hill in that way as well. They love that motion and get the the speed guys out wide and in space. Um, It feels like a trap because he had this big usage spike, it appeared, and a big production spike. But considering this is an outlier, are you buying an expanded role for Hardman with Sammy Watkins once again out in week nine? Mm, not really. Um, I mean, large, not saying, like, obviously he can go off. Keep in mind, this was the Jets they played last week. Um, I think the Panthers are a better team than they're given credit for. And, I mean, the defense has, like, not been the worst defense in the league that it was projected to be. It has been, like, slightly below average. And, um, like, not that you're – concerned about playing your chiefs at all but i think it's still like the usage and volume for mccall just makes him like such a flimsy play you know um obviously DraftKings or dfs you you know you sprinkle those guys in because you know okay maybe he does take a touch pass jet sweep to the house and gets another breaks another play or turns the kick off or whatever but i mean from you know, your redraft standpoint, he is a very weak, like wide receiver three flex, whatever. Yeah, just because we've seen, you know, his usage doesn't get to that point very frequently. And um, without a Tyreek Hill injury, I don't think there's really much of a, uh, I think there's a pretty low ceiling on on what he can do. You know, he was the most efficient player per touch last year, but on that was very because, few you know, right, he would get like, what, I think he had 20 total touches or something. I mean, now, he had a lot of touchdowns. This is Kansas City. He's got 4-3 speed. It all bodes well for him there. But it's just how how much how uh, lucky do you feel rolling the dice on Nicole Hardman in Week 9? I don't feel very good about it, even though I'm you know a fan of his uh, prospects in that offense. So Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather go with the Henry Ruggs uh, Martingale this week instead of Nicole Hardman. Okay, there you go. Uh, that's, that's a good uh, comparison there. Um, okay. With that said, Jeff, let's move on to our DFS preview now. And we're going to start with our favorite game stacks and we're going to build a lineup. Um, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So the first and chalkiest is the Buffalo Seattle game. Um, I mean, Russ is still the MVP so far and, but Josh Allen was also the runner up through four games and we have what's going to be a beautiful sunny day in Orchard Park tomorrow two relatively poor secondaries, two premier quarterbacks, and three elite wide receivers. Um, plus, uh, John Brown looks like he might be healthy. So, uh, you know, this is going to be probably the chalkiest of the week. Um, again, like that doesn't mean you can't play. It just means you have to figure out ways to kind of differentiate. So, like, John Brown is uh, 4,200 this week, I, I believe. So. 
you know, whether you're playing, like you could go with the Allen Brown stack and hope that, that it's like not a digs week. Um, or, you know, maybe you run it back with, if you're playing Russ, you run it back with Brown. Um, well, I mean, this is, it's actually kind of a hard game to like really stack because Diggs and Metcalf are the second and third most expensive wide receivers on the slate this week. Mm. Hopkins, Metcalf, Diggs, Julio. Like Julio is going to be cheaper than Diggs and Metcalf. Yeah, that's actually, that's crazy when you put it that way. I mean, I would personally, I, I obviously we love DK. He's coming off that, that huge, huge game. I'd probably go with uh, Diggs, Lockett, and then, maybe sprinkle in one of the running backs to try to differentiate and get some of the running game on either end. Uh, I mean, you know, DJ Dallas against this matchup, maybe, you know, I, I recognize that I could be wrong on him. So maybe um, Zach Moss. Yeah. I mean, he obviously had a big week. I'm honestly, maybe Singletary because we know, you know, it's no. again, it's like trying to fade. Well, I mean, he had equal touches with Zach Moss, but he had the low calorie touches as they're called. I mean, like the touchdown, theoretically, the touchdown upside really isn't there for Singletary because he doesn't get work like inside the 10. So you're really banking on him scoring from outside the red zone. But he also doesn't really have like the explosive breakaway speed to do that. Well, at the very least, we've seen many instances where Singletary has been hyper efficient in those between the 20 touches and you know, ripping off chunk gains. Uh, I think that there's a chance. I don't think Seattle's defense, although they get Jamal Adams back this week, I don't think it's really anything to be too concerned about. So it's more so just differentiating. I think Zach Moss probably has like a two to one ratio of uh, in terms of ownership in this week, just because of his two touchdown performance last week. But, you know, the touches are still pretty even. And, you know, maybe, you know, we, we have to recognize the variance there and the possibility that Singletary gets has the big game. Um, it is a possibility. So, that's a great stack. Who else do you like uh, this week, Jeff? Um, I think Houston Jacksonville is actually decent. Uh, I mean, I'm only going to be starting um, Deshaun Watson. I'm not going to start Mutton. Uh, but I think uh, you could double stack Watson with Fuller and Cooks. I mean, Cooks, I actually think it's just like a fantastic buy low. Um, then on the run it back, I mean, I think James Robinson would probably – be the uh, guy on Jacksonville I'd want to run it back with, but that doesn't mean you can't, you know, try some of the other configurations with Chark or Chenault um, and see see what you get because they'll also be a lot cheaper. Um, you know, different quarterback, but Chark's opportunity, like by low metrics, are almost as high as you can get for underperformance. Uh, it's the same thing I was saying about Garrett Gilbert in Dallas. Now with the new quarterback in Jacksonville, there is at least the uncertainty leaves room for a quarterback improvement. Chark's been complaining about the quarterback play all year with, with Minshew quietly and then more loudly. And now with Minshew out of the lineup in week nine and for the, probably the next couple of weeks, um, there is hope for DJ Chark's resurgence and, you know, return to wide receiver two territory. You know, that's banking a lot on the quarterback situation. But reminder, with great volume comes great opportunity. <laughs> um, you know, we saw with DeAndre Hopkins in Houston for many years, he was resilient against terrible quarterback play just because you saw great volume. And DJ Chark the last three weeks is sixth in rock. He is outside the top 100 among all fantasy players, uh, not including quarterbacks, um, in PPR points or half PPR points but he is sixth and rock. That is about as big of a buy low as you can get. Uh, you could probably get him for pennies, maybe a nickel. Uh, and, you know, he's got a chance to show us something this week. So 
Um, yes. So a secondary stack that I like is the Detroit Minnesota game. Um, I don't like firing up real. I mean, maybe you could sprinkle a little bit of Stafford in there since I think his ownership is going to be like near zero because he was um, on the COVID reserve list all week due to a close contact. Um, and I do think that's going to probably suppress the overall Detroit ownership. And because with the injury to Galladay, it's really condensed the offense around DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, and Marvin Jones. It's an easy team to stack. And I don't think you'll have to go into some of the fringier plays like Marvin Hall um, to really get a huge differentiation. Now, as you mentioned, Marvin Hall's got like sub four, four speed. So you know, he's not like the worst play if you wanted to get super fringy, but you don't have to. And on the other side, Minnesota, I mean, after last week, Dalvin Cook's going to get as chalky as it gets. And then, you know, same thesis, condensed target share between Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Like there's not really, the ball's not really getting passed around that much um, outside of maybe a little Irv Smith Jr. So, but still this offense runs through three players. So, and like neither of these defenses are very strong. So it'd be really easy. You know, Dalvin Cook, run it back with, you know, Marvin Jones or TJ Hawkinson or DeAndre Swift and then sprinkle in Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson or, you know, whatever. Like there's a you know, handful of ways that you can build that. And then the last one I like is Kansas City and Carolina. Uh, I mean, you can never go wrong with Patrick Mahomes, obviously. Then Carolina, well, Christian McCaffrey's back. Um, he is – Surprisingly, I think he's still the most expensive running back on the slate, despite not having played for um, so long. Actually, I think he's just below. Uh, nope, he is 300 more than Dalvin Cook. So, you know, I think this is um, like the cheap, possibly the cheapest and lowest ownership you'd be able to get on McCaffrey, maybe for the rest of the season. And um, as I've mentioned in the past, Kansas City somewhat has a running back funnel defense. Like their secondary is pretty solid, and they could scheme to take away DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and lead to like, you know, a six, seven, eight reception game for McCaffrey, even though it's his first game back. Of course, there's a chance that he ends up hitting like a 50% workload and splits with Mike Davis, and that ceiling isn't there. Um, but, you know, it's like going to be a tough game. And if Carolina's actually like keeps it, close um i think he could really um you know just be right back to basically what he was pre-injury yeah i think uh i, I really like where our heads are at in this week jeff i think that this is going to be a big one for us i'm calling it um i i think we're going to return to some of our early season form with some really high finishes um you know in terms of of that last stack kansas city carolina i do like ceh this week uh, i think you can get a lot of really good and contrarian, I guess, ownership in that game with some of the uh, Carolina pass catchers, notably, you know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. I think everyone's going to be, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are going to be paying up for the Kansas City shares in that game. And, you know, we just know that the opportunity is ripe amongst both these teams. So uh, I definitely like that game stack and it may be, you know, a little bit more on the radar than something like the Detroit Minnesota one. But uh, there are a lot of good options this week. And I think we just need to make sure we put our best foot forward there with the the optimizer tool that is obviously on the website. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of top plays, Jeff, I think there's there's some good ones uh, amongst the the games that you talked about. Obviously, we already talked about Chase Edmonds. I think that um, Antonio Gibson against the Giants this week is a nice play for running backs. 
And then I think for wide receivers, um, Cole Beasley is, remains a sneaky little wide receiver play that uh, we didn't talk about when we talked about that stack. But I think people uh, are going to be looking for cheaper shares in that game. And Cole Beasley has been um, everything that we asked for as a as a free agent signing from Bill's fan perspective and remains a very sneaky flex option in PPR. So a um, couple couple more options there. Jeff, let's build the lineup and uh, go ahead and pick our primary game stack and our secondary game stack. And let's see what we get. All right. So <clears throat> I just built it with uh, Josh Allen because we're going homer. And I'll read off the top two lines. So obviously we have Allen as the QB, uh, Dalvin Cook, RB1, Justin Jackson, RB2, Tyler Lockett, Justin Jefferson, DJ Moore, Hayden Hurst in a tight end, John Brown at the flex, and Giants defense. Ooh, okay. Okay. The second one, Allen, Dalvin, Chase Edmonds in at RB2, Steph Diggs, wide receiver one, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver two, David Moore, wide receiver three, Hunter Henry at tight end, Justin Jackson in the flex, and the Falcons defense. Jeff, in terms of that primary game stack, when you've got a quarterback and then his number one pass catcher and then a secondary pass catcher from the other team, is does that feel like a... Sometimes, you know, I go back and forth and like, is this too much ownership to have like two pass catchers and a secondary or two secondaries um, versus that formation where it's just three players from that game as your primary? You know, what are your thoughts on that? I guess it's more case by case, but I'm just curious if you feel like that's a little bit too low uh, in terms of stacking in that game. Um, no, I think you can um, double stack. Uh, you know, I mean, I could juice it up to stacking Allen with, you know, two Bills pass catchers. Um, I mean, heck, that's how I think the Millie Maker through the first four weeks were all double stacks with the bring back. Right. So it's, so it's far from like a poor strategy. Um, I've noticed the last few weeks, it hasn't really worked out for us. Um, you know, you, it's kind of like you end up with more correlation in the lineup, which does, um, you know, raise this like, I guess, ceiling four combo, even though like in totality of the like week, if you were to go in like build lineups post hoc, which obviously like you can't do, it's ends up still being like, suboptimal relative to like a single stack and a bring back, but mm. you're still just like kind of increasing the, um, you know, the correlations like, okay, even if like, let's just say it's Allen and Diggs goes off for 30 and Brown just has like a four point game. I mean, look, if you get like, you know, 35, 40 points between two wide receivers, that's still really good. And you're kind of still just capturing that, pass offense anyways so it's not necessarily you know it's not going to ruin you and i mean or let's say we did um build around rust hey maybe it is just metcalf and Lockett just end up cooking and uh the bill secondary can't contain them i mean then hey like you you still capture the ceiling and I mean, it's, yeah it's going to be you know a bit chalky but um, you know, I think there, as you said, though, there might be people who are afraid to double stack. So, hey, even though each of those players are still kind of chalky, the three of them together, maybe it isn't as chalky and only like, you know, 3% of the player pool anyways, half that like triple stack or I guess yeah. double stack, whatever. So, you know, there, you can still kind of load up on a game and just figure out a way to not make it uh, or just figure out a way to still make it like differentiated in total, even if, um, no, a lot of the players are still sort of chalky. You just have to find a way 
you know, not to, or, you know, um, you know, like Justin Jackson seems to be relatively uh, soft this week, despite being priced at 4,900 and being like a pretty good spot. I mean, you really only need like one super fringe player to uh, in your lineup and then have them hit to be fine. That's very true. And I, I think on the other side of the coin, in terms of the, the smaller stacks, the smaller game stacks, um, you know, if you're getting, let's just go with this, Allen, Diggs, and then David Moore. If you were to play Cole Beasley next to Diggs um, or, you know, maybe Lockett and David Moore, the, the problem is that only one of those guys is going to be the number one score of that um, on that team. And so you are guaranteeing that you, you know, your best case scenario is you're getting a number one and number two scoring in the same game. Rather than if you were to go with, uh, let's say, Justin Jefferson instead of Cole Beasley, there's a chance that you get the number one score in Buffalo and the number one score in Minnesota rather than number one and number two. Now, these are just rankings and not actual output. So maybe the number one score in Minnesota scores 10 points less than the number two score in Buffalo. But just theoretically, it's kind of like capping your upside. I Um, think the really almost kind of like the best way would be either be like Tyler Croft or Will Disley in the tight ends. I mean, like, I mean was, we've had, we had a good week with Tyler Croft a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, like, and he's going to be low. So that's like a great way to double stack. Go oh, Allen, Diggs, Lockett, or Metcalf, and Croft because Croft is going to be super low owned. Um, and that also allows you to pay up a little bit more for one of these, high, or two of these hyper expensive wide receivers in the slate. Right. So let's see. All right, so Josh Allen, Chase Edmonds, David Montgomery, Julio Jones, Tyler Lockett, DJ Moore, Tyler Croft, John Brown, Titans defense. I love it. Josh Allen, Devin Cook, David Johnson, Tyler Lockett, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Cooks, Tyler Croft, John Brown, Cardinals defense. Like, hmm, doesn't look like, okay, here, here's one with Diggs. So Allen, Cook, Connor, Diggs, Lockett, Devontae Parker, Croft, Jakeem Grant, Lions defense. So like, um, you know, you could do the same thing on the Seattle side with Ross and then Lockett or Metcalf and Will Disley, who's like quietly overtaking the tight end role from Greg Olson. So mm-hmm. like, that's like the instead of just saying, okay, it's, you know, Allen Brown digs, it's Ross, Metcalf, Lockett. Like, you know, like you can still look at some of, especially at tight end, because like if you have a weak game from tight end, like that's not going to kill you because tight end is just. You can a still mess. overcome that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like tight, having a weak game from the tight end is easy enough to overcome and it's a lot easier than a weak game from like a wide receiver three or a flex play mm-hmm. yeah and i and think then, you know, yeah i mean like, as you said like i think it was the raiders game where croft did hit and like that was our differentiating piece and what was like a relatively chalky build but we had croft as the differentiator i think he had two touchdowns and like helped us play his top 30 yeah well there you go um i just i just hand built a uh situation over here with with a similar you know similar way we were talking about structuring things and it looks something like josh allen digs and Lockett from that game and then throw back croft in the tight end spot and then uh, a secondary game stack james robinson and brandon cooks and then also of course chase edmonds this week um and then it, giants defense so it really leaves flex and you know it's a little bit it's a little bit more expensive um than i'd be looking for because we're really really limited in terms of flex options there so i'd probably downgrade from from um, maybe Robinson to someone else and, you know, maybe shipped around that secondary game stack. But there are good options. And when you have a really strong game stack that isn't, I mean, sure, it's a chalky game stack, but you're going with the cheaper side with Josh Allen rather than 
Russell Wilson. So it, your options get a little bit better and uh, a little bit more flexible. So um, good stuff there, Jeff. Any other favorite plays this week that you wanted to call attention to before we move on? Um, well, I still like Justin Herbert. Um, he's just been playing like fantastic football. And he's in a pretty good spot this week against uh, Vegas. So, um, you know, I like him. And then Keenan Allen has an absurd, like, volume share. So, uh, you know, whether you stack him with Herbert or you just want to, like, you know, play him naked as a standalone in your lineup, like, I think those are both some really good plays as well. You know, I think a very underrated DFS dart is Jalen Guyton, who's got good speed, uh, great hair, and has a quarterback who loves to air it out deep to him. Um, so one one target, 72 for a touchdown, three targets, 49, no touchdown, three, 84, touchdown, four, three yards, no touchdown. <laughs> so hyper volatile, but he's also 3,100 on DraftKings this week. And for whatever reason, J, uh, Justin Herbert looks his way about once a game. So, uh, you know, you're banking entirely on one big play, but, you know, two out of the last four weeks, he has delivered that big play and been a really, really cheap option to have. I mean, he's been hovering between 3,200 and 3,600 on DK and, uh, you know, double digit points two out of those four weeks. So um, anyway, Jeff, I think it is time to move over to the best bet segment of our show. And I've got um, three, three and a half uh, bets here for that I want us to discuss. And I'm interested to see what else you like from this from this week. Um, I think it's a really interesting betting slate. There isn't a lot that that jumps out to you. Um, I think that some of the matchups just you know, for instance, Dallas and and Pittsburgh, there's just a lot of uncertainty there. You know, that can be a good opportunity, but also makes people a little bit more shy in terms of betting. And, you know, that's a 14 and a half point favorite for Pittsburgh is a little bit daunting, I think, to bet for or against it just because there's a new quarterback on the other side. But anyway, um, I love Baltimore minus one against Indianapolis. Um, I think people are Still underappreciating Baltimore's potential on any given week. I know they haven't played to their standard. I think Lamar's turnover uh, situation the past couple weeks has just been unexpected and out of character, and I expect them to right the ship sooner rather than later. I also think they're probably going to have a blow-up game for Marquise Brown in store um, after he's been the squeaky wheel this week. Um, So I like Baltimore minus one there. I also, you know, we already talked about Buffalo-Seattle, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in our Bills prediction segment. But um, I like the over at 55 points. I just don't see either of these teams slowing down all game. I think it's going to be a track meet. I think that the offense, uh, uh, offensive firepower on either side is ripe for not only fantasy production, but overall point scoring. So uh, I like that. And I also think you sprinkle Buffalo plus three. We'll talk a little bit more about the um, prediction for that game. But Buffalo plus three, you know, just kind of taking the points on a game that is going to be a high score and it probably come down to the last possession one way or another. And then the last one I like Arizona minus four and a half first Miami. Uh, I'm running it back against Miami this week. Um, the Rams last week with Jared Goff just got absolutely decimated, made my best bet pick uh, for the Rams embarrassingly bad, but I will say this, that was because their defense I think played about as well as you could have possibly asked for. Uh, and the Rams offense in the first half, especially was just putrid, disgusting, you know, it can't, can't imagine Arizona, um, possibly following up a worse performance than that. And 
Arizona's been playing much, much better. I think their defense is pretty good, too. I don't think we see Tua come out and have this, you know, amazing rookie performance. So I think that the process was right last week and the Rams just sucked. Uh, I think the Cardinals will fare better and win by more than four and a half. So, Jeff, any thoughts on those particular bets or any others you want to call attention to? I do not love Arizona minus four and a half. Um, I think Miami has one of the best secondaries in the league. And I mean, Kyler has not been like as really like as good throwing the balls. He's kind of like, I think public perception is. So I really think that um, Miami is going to force Arizona to move the ball on the ground, which I mean they should because they're really good at it. Um, but I don't, I love Arizona four and a half. Like, yeah, Tua wasn't good last week. Uh, he didn't really have to be. It was his first career start. I think Arizona's missing their second and third cornerback. So it's basically going to be Patrick Peterson and then a bunch of backups, uh, which should also help open things up for Tua. Preston Williams is finally looking healthy. Devontae Parker finally is looking healthy. Um, I don't know. I, I just, that's not a safe bet to me at all. Um, like, I would put, yeah, I, I would actually slightly lean Miami plus four and a half on that one. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll have to monitor that and circle back on that one, Jeff. Um, what about these other ones? Seattle, ba- Buffalo, Baltimore, Indianapolis, any other bets you want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, well, Baltimore was actually plus one when I opened up DraftKings this morning. I know. I didn't catch it when I was doing mine. <laughs> uh, I also like Carolina plus 10 against the Chiefs. Um, I mean, you know, there's a chance I look like a complete idiot and Mahomes throws for five touchdowns. But, um, I mean, I, I think Teddy is uh, – well, I mean, Panthers do have a little extended like rest coming off of the Thursday night game. Um, and, and as we know, like, we're just big Teddy fans here. He's playing some really good ball. The defense has quietly not been awful. Um, so I, I think 10 points is like a pretty good amount for a team that's like, um, you know, not that bad and at the very least could easily get like a good backdoor cover. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, Jeff, let's move on and wrap up here with our bills prediction segment. Obviously Buffalo, Seattle, we already talked a good about it. Good bit about this game from a fantasy perspective and a little bit from a betting perspective, but now from a bills fan perspective, Jeff, obviously the bills, you know, they got by last week against the Patriots with a pretty lucky finish. Uh, Cam Newton turning it over in field goal range probably should have been an overtime finish one way or another. I still like the Bills in that, but still uh, six and two. And Seattle, you know, obviously we talked a lot about their defensive struggles, but we know that they have the court, the who probably who would be the MVP right now, uh, Russell Wilson under center. And their offense just looks completely unstoppable regardless of who you have at running back, which is ironic and hopefully, uh, you know, the, the coaching and and Seattle takes note that maybe we should be running the offense through Russell Wilson forever now. Um, but, you know, this is going to be an interesting matchup. I think the Bills are starting to to dip back or, you know, to um, to lift back up to the level of play that we were seeing the, through the first four weeks. And I think Seattle is still, you know, at that level. So uh, the Bills have been a team that have been playing to the level of their opponent. I think we probably see the best game from Josh Allen that we have in the last few um, I think the defense probably struggles to contain these amazing skill position players, you know, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf for Seattle. So I'm expecting a track meet, like I already said. Um, I also think that this is probably going to come down to the last possession one way or another. So high scoring game, close. I really hope we pull it off. 
I will go Seattle by a hair, which is why I kind of like Buffalo plus three, because I think that there's definitely a chance that the Bills do pull this out. Um, but just from in terms of like actually making an accurate prediction, uh, I'll probably go 28-31 Seattle. Yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, see, that would put a that would be fifty nine total points in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, let's go more. <laughs> let's go more. <laughs> uh, thirty eight points for Seattle and thirty eight thirty five. I mean, that's a possibility, sure. man. I really do I mean, think it's. Sure. I, I don't know the. I don't know <laughs> we're gonna so have all points. touchdowns. I mean, I mean, the so thing much. is, the Bills do like like to run a high faced offense when they can. Uh, I guess the one thing that would make me a little hesitant is how much we try to replicate the strategy against Kansas city. And like how much of that was weather driven and how much of that was like the game plan of like, okay, we're going to slow the game down and like more, do more sustained drives and reduce the total possessions in the game. Just like increase the variance versus like, look, we, we, we're just going to score as many points as we can on offense and, you know, hope that, like we a like keep up slash our defense makes a play. Um, I don't know. I I still mean the over because I think that's just like going to be how it has to go, like in some way or another. Um, you know, Matt Milano being out is really going to hurt the middle of the field. Also, another reason why that uh we should be playing Will Disley and DFS. But that's true. That's a good point. Saw saw what Mike Gusecki did in week two with no Milano or Edmonds. Yeah, um, I don't. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be a close game, a fun game, and that the Bills do come up short. Sad. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, I mean, I, I, as a Bills fan, I have hope that you know this is the type of game that the Bills could win, considering the way we've seen them play at their best this year. So I hope that we are correct and that this does go in the Bills' favor. Either way, love the over, smash the over. Let's see what happens. Um, yeah, I mean, Seattle's okay. the best team in the NFC. So. Yeah. Agreed. Um, any final thoughts this week, Jeff, as we wrap up our week nine preview? I mean, I have several thoughts related to <laughs> things very not football right now, uh, but we'll save those for the off-air discussion and everyone have a profitable weekend. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, guys, a reminder to check out the DFS Optimizer tool. We've been getting some good feedback about that. Uh, people have been thankful that we have that out there for free on the website. That's obviously contestacatch.com forward slash DFS. Uh, in case you have not checked it out yet or need a reminder about where to find it, the rock tool, uh, the rock score is found on contestedcatch.com forward slash ROC. And, uh, you know, I've had some people say ROC. I've had some people wonder, you know, a little bit uh, how to use the rock score. You know, hey, this is a really cool tool. I'm not exactly sure the context or, you know, if I'm using this correctly. A reminder that there is a link at the top of that page, as well as I can tell you the URL, it's rock-explained, um, where you can kind of see how we break down the rock, uh, a, a use case for it, an example, more of a season-long situation. But still, uh, it's it's there are, there are resources there, ourselves included. Obviously, you know where to find Jeff at Buff Bill Stats on Twitter, at Contessa Catch for me. Um, so guys, don't be afraid to reach out about that or anything else. Um, we've been getting some good questions on Twitter as well. So keep those up. And yeah, that'll do it for us in, in our week nine preview. We hope you guys have enjoyed. We wish you the best of luck. We wish you a profitable weekend, as Jeff said, and we hope to catch you next time.